0: I I found, I was looking through some pictures recently online, I came across this and I was really shocked. If you put the first one up there, Mal, who knows what this is? That is the first office of Apple. Apple. iPhone, Apple Mac. That garage was their first office. That guy in the shirt in the middle is Steve Jobs. That was their first warehouse where they shipped out computers. That is where Apple started. That multi-billion dollar company that you either love or hate, but which plays such a big part in our lives. Next one. Can you tell who that is? Mark Zuckerberg. That is the first office of Facebook. That company that intrudes in every part of our lives right now. Uh, I, sometimes I get a little nervous I found myself having conversations about subjects recently, and a day later an ad for that thing will appear on Facebook, and I'm beginning to wonder, are they listening? Do you want to be paranoid? Just warning you. Okay, so that was the first office of Facebook, and uh, Mark, this one here, you'll not get this one. This is Google, the first office of Google, that's where Google started, you know? Second only to God and being omniscient, knowing all things, is Google. Um, So that is the first office of Google. Next one. That Amigis on the right, above that, is the first office of YouTube. The second most popular search engine in the world. And more people today watch YouTube than watch television. It started in a little office just above Amigis Pizzeria. That one's more obvious. Look at that. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> eBay. Yeah, that's eBay. Uh, that is the first office of Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. That's where he started. Isn't that incredible? When you think of how many of you use Amazon? Like literally. I buy pretty much 90% of stuff that's not food off Amazon. Um, And that's where it started. And the next one, what's that? That is here. That is this room. Look at it, folks. Look at it. Huh? Take a minute and sort of figure out where we're at. (laughs) Yeah, they were obviously doing very well as a company. Um... Yeah, social service. It was a waterboard, wasn't it? Yeah. Look at it. I just I thought I, I I got sent that recently and I just I thought it was incredible. And I love comparing it with all the others because I wonder in five or ten years will we look at that and laugh even more than we do today. I wonder will as, as Steve Wozniak and the guys in Apple and Steve Jobs when he was alive looked back at the garage, did they ever believe it would become? As as the guys in Google or YouTube, did they ever believe it would become? And I wonder will we ever look at this little place and in five or ten years, by God's grace and by his goodness and through the work and generosity and faithfulness of his, of his people, will we look back and go, goodness me, did we ever believe that would become this. You know, our church is four years old. Four years and a few weeks, actually, essentially. And in the four years and a few weeks, it has met in the Goodyear Social Club, it has met in a barn, it has met in a rugby club. Anywhere else that I'm missing? The Civic Centre. And then a few years ago, God gave us this place. And we are so thankful, and we are so thankful for this place and space in the heart of Craig Avon. It is a gift from God, and we are so thankful for it. Um, and it's just incredible to see how God... I'd love to have had a photo of, of those of you who were in the barn that time. Um, we actually ended up staying in a house on the grounds of the barn recently, so I know uh, where it is. But, um, but, but it just shows how how things transform, how things change, how, how you can take a vision and make it a reality, how something can become so much different over time. And that's really what we're going to think about this morning as we think about our friend, Wee Zacchaeus here. Look at Luke 19, verses 1 to 2 with me. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. So we're told that Jesus is in Jericho. It's a very wealthy city. It's a very prosperous city. It's the intersection of a number of major trade roads. And so there was a lot of rich People there making a lot of money. There was no credit crunch. There was no recession in Jericho. It was one of those, it was a BT9 type place. It was a rich place. It was, you know, it it was a a posh place. Everybody had the latest Reg BMW camels and Mercedes camels and stuff like that. And, And it was just a wealthy place. And one of the people who lived there was a guy called Sakes and he was loaded. He was a chief tax collector, we're told, and he was wealthy. He's rich. He's made it to the top of his business. Unfortunately, his business is a pretty dodgy and corrupt business. He's a chief tax collector. And basically what that involves is he's a Jewish guy working for the Romans, collecting taxes for the Romans. But what he's doing is he adds a little bit for himself. And so just say your tax is hundred pounds. So Zacchaeus comes along and he gets his little book out and he goes, that'll be hundred and thirty pounds, please. And he takes your hundred and thirty pounds and he gives a hundred to the Romans and thirty goes into his home pocket. And he is the chief tax collector. So he's probably got this pyramid, this Ponzi scheme going on. So all the tax collectors below him are giving him a cut of what they've got. He is loaded. But people can't stand him. But he doesn't care. He is at the top of his game. Money is his life. And he is living the life of luxury. Whatever it took to get money, even if it meant to fraud his own people, he didn't care. He owned money. And money owned him. But yet as much as he has, there's something within him That's not satisfied. Look at what it says. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. He wanted to see who Jesus was. What do you want to see this morning? He had one goal. It doesn't say he wanted to interact with Jesus. He didn't want an encounter with Jesus. He didn't want Jesus to come for dinner. He just wanted to see Jesus. What do you want to see in your life? What do you want to see in your future, in your job? What do you want to see in your family? What do you want to see in your marriage? What do you, Maybe you, you want to see a marriage. Maybe you would like to meet somebody. What do you want to see in your relationship? What do you want to see in your body? Maybe healing, maybe a marriage restored, maybe finances sorted, maybe a relationship reconciled. He wanted to see Jesus. That was his goal. This guy was a Jew. Obviously not a practicing Jew. Just like so many people in our country will say they're Protestant or Catholic, they're Church of Ireland or Methodist or Presbyterian or whatever they are, but they're not practicing. He had a label of being a particular faith, a particular religion, but he wasn't practicing it because he was so busy pursuing self. He was so busy pursuing career. He was so busy pursuing money. He wasn't somebody that you would call remotely religious in any way. He's the complete opposite. His life revolves around the holy trinity of me, myself and I. And yet there's something inside him that knows there has to be more. There's something inside him that's seeking something that money can't By Maybe he's heard about Jesus. Maybe he's witnessed a miracle. Maybe he was there at the feeding of the 5,000. Maybe he has seen somebody being delivered from demons. We don't know, but he wants to see Jesus for himself. And I think that's a picture of our culture in 2019. We have a culture that was one of the most religiously steeped cultures in the world here in Northern Ireland. More churches per square mile than most places in the world. This was one of the most Christianized, just the north particularly, countries, regions of the world. It used to be that you didn't ask, do you go to church? It was, what church do you go to? And everybody said, I, went, I go to Eden Presbyterian or I go to Lurgan or whatever. Now, you, you don't have that conversation because a lot of our culture don't go to church. They have no affiliation. And it's a second generation thing now. They've just no connection to church. And yet, there's this deep, just longing. It's hard to define, indefinable. Longing for more. They've got their 2.4 children, which I don't know how you do that. You know, they always talk about 2.4 children. Maybe that's just like the little ones. But 2.4 children, they've got their house. They've got their two cars. They've got their foreign holiday. They've got you know, their nice secure job. They've got it all and yet there is this sense of, is this it? There, there, there has to be more. There's got to be more than this. Because they feel empty and they feel purposeless. And yet they don't want religion They don't want narrow, negative, legalistic, glum religious traditions that we have had in this land for so long and that have put so many people off church. I still remember and I honor the church that I grew up in, but it bored the life out of me and it scalded the leg off me. There were always these really hot pipes. Anybody else of that? The hot Yeah, most of you. The hot pipes that ran down the center of the the aisles, that if you put your leg near it as a child, you got third-degree burns. Like, Like, it was just crazy. But we went along every week, and, you know, in my tradition, they... And let us sing unto the Lord, let us heartily rejoice in the strength of the Lord. And they were, you know, all these people in white dresses at the front, men singing in white. I was just accepted. And it bored the life out of me. And I remember when I became a Christian, I thought, I cannot invite people into this. I, I, this is not what I, I can. This is on the cutting edge of 1879, and I cannot invite my friends from school into this. And so. People are hungry for something spiritual. They'll say, I'm spiritual but not religious. But what they're really hungry for is they want to see Jesus. Maybe they've heard about him. Maybe they remember stories of him from their childhood. Maybe they haven't been in church in 25 years except for weddings or funerals. But there are a group of people out there who are hungry, I believe, for Jesus. They might never... Waking up on a Sunday morning and thinking, I want to go to church. But they will wake up on a Sunday morning saying, why do I feel so empty? Why did I do that last night? Why do I feel so hopeless? Is there any hope? Is there any way out of this situation? Is there any meaning or purpose in my life? Zacchaeus was one of the last people you would have imagined would have been interested in Jesus. And you know what we've discovered? Alan Scott up in the vineyard used to say this. Most people who are looking for Jesus don't look like they're looking for Jesus. I love that saying. Most of the people you know who are looking for Jesus don't look like they're looking for Jesus. They look like they're looking for the weekend. It's amazing how many people live for the weekend. What is a TGIF? Thank God it's Friday. In other words, let's endure Monday to Friday just so we can party for two days, get hangovers and go back to work on Monday and have a miserable week again, just so we can get to Friday again. That is our culture. They're not saying they're looking for Jesus, but they are. And you know what? This is a church that's about Jesus. We are unapologetically, unreservedly about Jesus. We are not focused on religion We've put that away. We're not focused on rituals. We're not even focused on social and moral issues or conformity to externals. We're unabashedly, unashamedly focused on one person. His name is Jesus. We are a Jesus-centered community. That is at the heart of who we are. That will always be at the heart of who we are. We're not about personalities or programs or even people. We're about Jesus Christ. And I believe that's why we've been growing because we put jesus first our worship songs are about jesus our preaching is from the word of god it's about jesus our heart is to know jesus and to make him known and god will always bless a church that puts jesus first and look at what it says he wanted to see jesus but because he was short he could not see over the crowd I would love to be taller. If anybody were to ask me if you could change anything about yourself, there would be a number of things. You're all like, we can think of 25 things. (laughs) Mine would be just, I'd love to be just over six foot. That's it, you know. Um, But, you know, I am who I am. Um, But I would love to be taller. I wonder how tall Zacchaeus was. He had limitations. He was limited in his height. And we all have limitations. We all have things that prevent us from being all that we can be or doing all that we want to do. We all have limitations. Physical limitations, financial limitations, geographical limitations. But he also had another limitation here that actually I'd never noticed until I studied this passage recently. He had a time limitation. Because if you go back to the first verse... Do you know what it says? It says Jesus was passing by. Or Jesus was passing through. Jesus, it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jesus wasn't staying in the area. Jesus had no plans to camp there for four days. He had no plans to set up a base. He wasn't going to be around for long. In other words, there was a very narrow window of opportunity for Zacchaeus here. If he wanted to see what he needed to see, there was a very small, limited time frame. A very narrow window of opportunity. And for all of us, as well as all of our own limitations, there's a limited time frame. We're only here for a while, folks. There's a limited time frame For all of us to fulfill the purpose of God in our lives. There's a narrow window of opportunity for us to do what God has called us to do. And he says he wants to see Jesus but there's obstacles in his way. What's the obstacles? It's the crowd. He can't get through the crowd. There's thousands of people around Jesus. We've got this wee little man. And there's obstacles and there's opposition in his way. And I want to say to you, there will always be obstacles and opposition. I think most of us live and dream about this elusive day when everything will be easy. When everything will just be, scot- free, you know, when we'll just breeze through life. When there'll be no pressure, no stress, no problems, no challenges. When all of our, when it will just be easy. That day will never come, folks. There will always be obstacles and opposition and challenges and difficulties, both external and internal. Zacchaeus had a limitation. It was his shortfall. It was his height. I wondered, what's your limitation? Do you ever feel like others have it better than you? Others have it easier than you? If only you had what they had. If only you had the start that they had. I wonder if Zacchaeus thought, if only I was taller, I could, I could be at the front of the queue. What's the thing that you think is preventing you from doing the thing that God has called you to do? What's the thing that makes you feel like life is passing you by? What's the thing that makes you feel inadequate and inferior? What's your limitation? Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but there was a problem. There was a limitation. And increasingly here in Hope, we have recognized limitations. And with a number of them, this building is a limitation. We are so thankful for this building. We believe it's God's provision for us. But we also recognize that this building is a limitation and will increasingly become a limitation. (coughs) Excuse me. That's why we added a second service. We had one service In a building that seated 200, only 230 people coming every week. Now, I went to clown it, but I can do the mass. That was never going to work. So we added a second service. This church, roughly in the last 18 months, has grown from an average congregation of 100 people to 250 people on a Sunday. When you have 250 people, every church growth person, every expert in this says that you add another third on to that. Because on any given Sunday, a third of your congregation are elsewhere. Like there's some of you here today who weren't here last Sunday. There's some of you here today who won't be here next Sunday. That's just life. Life gets busy. We have holiday homes. Stuff happens. So you can probably add another third on. So we are a church, let's say 250 at the minute. There's normally about 100 at this service roughly and 150 at the second service. Let's imagine we keep growing by God's grace as we are doing. Next year we could have, if we have 250 now, let's say, let's go conservative. And when I say that, it's not a political statement. Boris. I love him, I love him. Um, But let's say, I've just lost... A third of you there and two thirds of you have just loved me even more. Um, I'm sorry, I can't help it. Um, but let's be conservative, okay? If we have 259 or something more, and let's say we have 300 to 325 a year from now, okay? That's pretty conservative. A year after that, let's stay conservative, let's imagine we have 400 in a building that seats 200, two services. Again, not having to be Carl uh, Vorderman, both services are full. That's just two years. That's 24 months from now. And that's being really conservative. Two services both full. What do we do? That's all I'm trying to explain today. Is that, yes, you're looking around you and you're thinking there's empty seats. Isn't this great? There's empty seats because we, we purposely, six months ago, designed that we would have empty seats to fill. Those seats are going to start filling, they're already filling. And as we start to restructure some things and other things, they're going to fall. One of our biggest limitations in the last six months, being really honest, was not having a crash. We know families who have joined us in the last two weeks just because we've got a crash again. And we're so thankful for that. And as we restructure and continue to do that, we're going to keep growing. We're going to keep preaching the gospel. We're going to start seeing more people saved. The other limitations are parking. Literally, we have to get you out of here by 11 to get the other crowd in. We don't have enough parking. We are limited by just the the land that we have around us. We are limited in in, in so many... And so we we have options. We can keep adding extra services. Once we hit 400 in two years, what do we do? Add a third morning service? Like, seriously? You'll be carrying me out after four weeks in a coffin... Do an evening service? Possibly, but you just get people from the morning service double dipping and coming back. again. Doesn't solve a problem. We don't have kids stuff at an evening service. What do we do? I'm just trying to be really honest with you and explain some of the things that are going through my head and people in the management team's heads that we're trying to think through the future. We can keep adding more services, but that is only kicking the ball down the field. Therefore, the only other alternative is find more space. Find another building. Either build a building or find a warehouse or a building that's available, and that's what we're currently doing. That's what we're currently actively seeking to do. Is to look and go what is available, and there's some stuff going on with Craigavon at the minute and the South Lakes project, and and just you know Craigavon is an interesting place. It's, apart from Rushmere, it's got no centre. When people think of Craig they think of shops and roundabouts. True. There's no community heart to this place. My dream is that there would be a building which is public and which is visible, which is called the Hope Centre. And I want it to be public and visible because God's word says this, a city on a hill should not be hidden. Let your light shine before men. I I don't want people to have to have a word of knowledge or Google Maps to find us. I want to be so visible that you can't miss us. I want to be within a mile of where we are right now, maximum. I believe God has called us to this particular location. I want a centre that is open all day, every day. I want a place that in the mornings mums and tots and babies come in and they're looked after. where, where single moms are taught how to parent well, where they're provided for when, when moms have newborn babies, that they get a, a pack of everything they need to look after their child, where, where other older moms come alongside them and help them. There's a lot of 16-year-old moms around us, folks, who have no idea how to be a mom. There's a lot of 16-year-old dads around us who have no idea how to be a dad. I want young men to come in who left school at 15 and to be trained up in computer skills and interview skills and how to, how to be a dad and how to be a man and how to look after their family and how to manage money. I want families to learn how to make budgets and finances and, and, and to look after things because nobody teaches you that stuff in school. They teach you trigonometry. They don't teach you how to balance a checkbook every month. I want a place that if a mum and her two kids who are under five are getting beaten at night by some drunk man at home at 2am and they leave the house and they have nowhere to go, they go to the Hope Centre because they know they will find help there. They know there will be a refuge there. They know that there will be a welcome there and we may not be able to Keep them in a room, but we will know where to put them and we will have places to direct them and they will be looked after and cared for. I want a place that has a food bank, but not just a food bank where you come and pick up your groceries and go home. Because there's people picking up groceries and food banks and going home and sitting for seven days on their own in front of a TV with no interaction with other people. But they come to a food bank every week and they have a meal with other people. I want a centre where we have alpha in the evenings, with Alpha, in the mornings, we, 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 have, we have things outside that draw people, attract people. We have family fun days regularly. We have classes, we have sports, we have just uh, whatever, whenever people in this community, and this community is a very diverse community. You know, when a lot of people talk about Craig Alvin, they talk about Gore and Parkmore. That is part of this community. There is a heck of a lot more to Craig Alvin than that. Look across the road at Conray. Look at the, the people who work all around us. There's about six communities all around us. I want a place where people who work in the local area, who get sick of looking at a cubicle all day, can come down here for half an hour at lunchtime. And there's, they can, they can, there's internet access, there's Alpha going on, there's just space and place for them to come and sit outside and have their lunch. I want a centre where people can encounter Jesus. That the church on the Sunday morning is a big part of it, but it is not the biggest part. That, that everything we do Monday to Sunday is a church. That's my vision. That's my dream. That's what I want to see in this community where people find healing and counseling and support and friendship. Friendship. That's why we need a building. Not just for Sunday morning to squeeze people in. That is not the goal. The goal is to be a people who reach this community with the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? Back to the passage. Jesus, or Zacchaeus can't see Jesus because there's no room for him. So what does he do? Verse four. He ran ahead and climbed a second more tree, fig tree, to see him since Jesus was coming away coming his way he planned ahead he planned ahead it was that simple he was a guy who was good with numbers he knew how to plan he thought about the future and he made plans that would enable him to see Jesus he thought to himself there's no room here but if I look ahead and go down there I will be strategically positioned when the opportunity passes because Jesus was passing by There was going to be a short window of opportunity. When the opportunity arises, I will be positioned to take hold of that opportunity if I think ahead and plan strategically. So he moved. He went around the crowd and he climbed. He couldn't change his height. He couldn't change that that personal limitation. So he had to work around it. He could find a new location. And I believe that's what God is calling us to do as a church. To start to envision what might be ahead. To be so thankful for our past and where God has brought us from. And to be so thankful for this building and what God has brought us to. But to start to think five years from now, three years from now, ten years from now. What do we want to be? Who do we want to be? Those of you who have children five, ten years from now, what do you want your kids to be doing here at Hope? Do you want this to be a place that they get up on a Sunday morning and go, we are so excited to go to church? Or do you want this to be a place where they go, oh, it's boring? I want this to be the highlight of your kids' weeks. I want this to be a place where you get up on, a, on, a, on a, whatever day you're serving on and go, I can't wait to get in and help some people today. I want this to be a place where every day people are encountering Jesus. But that just doesn't happen by accident case was not going to stumble upon Jesus by accident. He had to be intentional, he had to be strategic, and he had to make plans. And his action was bold. In those days, a well-known wealthy businessman, a public figure, didn't run and climb trees. It wasn't dignified, it just wasn't done. And yet, Zacchaeus knows that there's nothing more important in this moment than seeing Jesus, nothing. He's not going to let the moment pass by. So he moves up, he climbs a tree, he moves up to another level. Everybody else is on the ground. They're all doing their thing. He decides to do something different. And I believe God has called us to be a different type of church. We love all the churches in this area We pray for them. We bless any church in this area that preaches the Bible and teaches Christ. We bless them. We want to be a bit different. Not better, just different. And we want to position ourselves in a place where the people who won't go near those other churches might come near us. Or we will have access to them. And so he reasoned, if I want the future I'm envisioning, I've got to do something about it. I've got to move. I've got to make plans. And so for us, that's going to involve a number of things. It's going to involve looking for a building. It's going to involve staffing over time. We have two staff in this church, me and Hannah, and Hannah's part-time. We're the only church of more than 200 people I know that doesn't have a pet admin person because we have so uh, a couple of people who so faithfully... Uh, Daphne and, 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 and Sandra uh, and, and a few others who volunteer. But you know, what, once we get to a certain size, we're going to need to pay staff to do admin. There's so many things come across my desk. I, I hate admin, folks. Can you, imagine, can you imagine me an admin? Like, it just doesn't work. Uh, and so there's things that are not being done that, that need to be done. We're going to have to. But we are also going to have to employ people to reach this community. People with particular skills, People with skills that I don't have. People with a heart and a passion to reach young women in this community. People with a heart and a passion to to reach out to the young men. People with a heart and a passion to reach out to the elderly who are sitting at home lonely all day, every day. We have wonderful volunteers and leaders, but there comes a point when we just need to take that step up and go, actually, if we're serious about this, as we were serious last year about our kids and our youth, we need to put our money where our mouths are. That's going to cost something. We're going to need a building. We're going to need space. We're going to need staff. We're going to need volunteers. We're going to need leaders. All of that is part of where we're going in the next 12 to 24 months. It's going to take time. It's going to take planning. It's going to take commitment and it's going to take resources. But here's our option. And I see this picture of an elevator stuck between two floors. And we can make a choice. We can go down or we can go up. But when you're stuck between two floors, you can't stay there. And I think God is saying to us as a church, you have a choice. You can go down again. And for some of you, that would actually be appealing. And I understand that. A lot of you came from small churches and you like small churches. And you like it, but like Cheers, where everyone knows your name. Some of you would like that, and I get that. I want to say to you, that is not this church. We want to to get smaller as we get bigger, and we want to find ways of doing that through small groups and all of that, and community groups and different things, and creating environments for you to get to know people. I understand that, and we haven't been good at that. But I can't lead a church that's determined to shrink. (laughs) That's not how God has made me. And actually, that's not God's heart for this church. There are thousands of lost people within two miles of us who haven't encountered Jesus. There's no way Jesus is saying, stay small. So it's not about numbers, folks. It's because every person matters. This is where I'm going to finish up here. (coughs) I know I'm not going to get to say everything I want to say. but Verses 5 and 6. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I love this. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. How do we know that? He calls him by name. Notice he says Zacchaeus. There's thousands of people all around. And Jesus looks up and says Zacchaeus. He sees him in the midst of a crowd as an individual. Somebody who he wants to get to know. He he knows he's a crook. He knows what sort of guy he's dealing with. Jesus calls him by name. And you know, I've talked about numbers this morning. And some people go, it's not about numbers. And I don't like being talking about numbers. It's not about numbers. You're right. Honestly, my goal is not to build a big church for the sake. And I've said this before. I don't want a big church for a big church. More money, more problems. Or more people, more problems. More, more, more money, more problems as well sometimes. More people, more problems. <clears throat> Honestly. I'm just making life harder for myself by having a bigger church. That's not why I want a big church. I want a big church because people matter to God. I don't want a big church full of people from other churches who have come from other churches. I believe if you've come from another church, there's a you know what the reason why is? That you're called a parent and you disciples who come in here. God always sends parents before he sends kids. Have you noticed that biologically? The kids never come before the parents. And if you're here and you're a mature Christian and you've come from another church, do you know why you're here? So that when the baby Christians come in, you look after them. You raise them up. You disciple them. you teach them how to live the Christian life. So it's not about numbers to me, but numbers matter to God. There's even a book in the Bible called numbers, okay? Jesus told a parable about a hundred sheep, one went missing. How did he know there was a hundred and how did he know one was missing? He counted them. He cared about numbers. It wasn't about numbers. It was every single number represents a person who matters to God. Every single number represents someone who Jesus Christ died for. Every single number represents someone in your family, someone in your work, someone in your street, someone who matters to God. And the only way that we want to keep moving forward and growing is to bring more and more individuals and families into friendship with Jesus. And so... Jesus invites himself back to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus pursued Jesus and now Jesus is walking behind Zacchaeus. Surely goodness and mercy and favour follow those who pursue him. And he goes back to Zacchaeus' house and Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. People are so much more open to Jesus than we give him credit for sometimes. This guy was the last guy you would have thought would have welcomed Jesus. Jesus. Don't say no for somebody else. Sometimes we say no for people thinking they'd never want to know about God. I'll not share my faith with them. They'd never want to know about Jesus. Don't say no for somebody else. Give them an opportunity to say no because actually, what you'll find 80% of the time is they'll say yes or maybe. And Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. And here in Hope, we're not trying to get people to join a church. We're not trying to get people to become part of a religion. We just want to introduce people to Jesus. That they would welcome him gladly. But look at what happens. Verse 7. There will always be criticism. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is going to be the guest of a sinner. Anytime God begins to work somewhere, you can be sure the critics will come out. You will be sure that there will be those who will start to gossip and grumble, and find fault. It always amazes me, and it shouldn't, because we see it in the ministry of Jesus over and over again. As soon as a church starts to grow, as soon as God starts to move, people start to grumble. And they're normally religious people. I know none of you have any idea what I'm talking about there. And you know what? I hate criticism. But I've just had to reach a place where I say, who cares? Not about honest criticism, not about genuine. And those of you who have come to me with stuff will know that I take stuff on board. And at times I've sat before individuals and committees in this church and repented. So it's not that I'm above criticism. I'm above criticism for wanting to reach the lost. I'm above criticism for wanting to share the gospel. And there comes a point where you just go, I actually don't care what you think. Because in the end, I'm not going to have to stand before you. I'm going to stand before God. And as long as in my heart I know I've spent my life trying to win people to Jesus, I don't care what other people think. Folks, I'm not a perfect leader. And you're not a perfect congregation. So we're perfectly matched. We're perfectly matched. And you know what? At times, we'll grumble. And there'll be things we don't like. And that's okay. The goal is not to have us all thinking the same. That's called a cult. It's not uniformity, it's unity in Christ. You know what? We've got the same blood in our veins, folks. It's Jesus' blood. And that's so much thicker than water. And so you can find the one thing you don't like and criticise it, or you can go, actually, I don't like that, but I love the heart of this place. I want to reach lost people. I want to see people come into the kingdom. And I want to see lives transformed. And that's what we see a chaos. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus's life was radically transformed. Before his life was about one thing, money. Look at what it does. Look at what encountering Jesus does. He says, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor, 50%. That's five tithes. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. This guy is going to leave himself broke. But when your life has been impacted and transformed by Jesus Christ, it affects not just your soul, it affects your finances. Jesus doesn't tell him to do this anywhere. But because his heart has been transformed, it affects his money. And what about you? And this is where I want to just challenge us as we finish. Your soul might be saved, but is your wallet saved? Is your purse saved? Is your bank account saved? Is Jesus Lord of your heart? And is he Lord of your bank statement? Is he really Lord of all of your life or is he Lord of 90% of your life but there's this one bit that you're holding off because he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And I have wrestled with this in my own life over the years and I might talk a bit more about this next week. I don't know. But there are people who have been coming to this church for a long time who are earning money and have never Given or her not tithing. And I want to say to you, I want to challenge you. In the be- I, I want to say to you, I don't need your money and this church doesn't need your money. Jesus wants your heart. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And so if you have a, it's not a money problem, it's a heart problem. That's what it was for me. I'll share a bit more maybe next week. I struggled to tithe for the first 15 to 20 years nearly of my Christian life. So I know what it's like. And it was not never a money problem. I could say it was a money problem. It was a heart problem and it was an obedience problem. And I think God's challenging some of us today. That actually if he is Lord of your life, it's time to start giving. And some of you have all sorts of reasons why you don't give and I'll, I'll, I'll get to those next week. I'm not going to... But like I say... I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not on commission, folks. I don't get paid per head, okay? And God doesn't need your money, but you need to give if you don't give. And if you're uncomfortable right now when we are talking about money, ask yourself why. If I talk about adultery, there's only a few people in the room who would ever get uncomfortable. And it's not the people who are being faithful. If you're uncomfortable when we are talking about money, ask yourself why. Do you ever go to the doctor and he presses around and he says, tell me where it hurts? That's where the problem is. If you're saying ouch right now, that's a good sign that there's an area you need to deal with. But ultimately, this isn't about money. It's about eternity. It's about lives being transformed. And I want to close and I realize, folks, we're not even going to probably, we'll have half a worship song to finish because, but I, I want to show this. This is not just about Money. This is about, look at what Jesus says in verse 10. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus here gives us his mission statement. It's reaching lost people. And his mission statement is our mission statement. We don't get to make this stuff up. If Jesus... That is what it is. His mission is ours. His mandate is ours. And everything that we do is about seeking and saving lost people. If we don't do that, we may as well close our doors now. But our heart and my heart as your leader is that we would get better and more intentional about seeking and saving the lost. But that takes space. It takes resources. It takes volunteers. It takes hard work. And I do believe you're up for it. When I get to heaven, you know what? I don't really care about the golden streets and the pearly gates and how big my mansion is. I just want people to come up to me and say, Craig, I'm here because of you. That's it. I just want people to come up and say, Craig, and I'll go, who are you? And they'll say, in 2019, I came into your church and I received Christ. That's all I want. The other stuff, you know, a big mansion in heaven, I'll take it. Jacuzzi, pool, I'll take all of that. But you know what? I just want people to come up and go. Because of you, because of your sacrifice, because of of your, just, you were willing to go the extra mile. Your commitment, your, your giving. I'm here. I want to finish with a story. And then actually, I'm not, we're not going to do a worship song to finish today. We're just going to pray. I'm going to show a video about Nicholas, a guy called Nicholas Winton. Some of you might have heard of him. Some of you might have seen this before. But I, I just, I find this powerful. He actually died a few years ago at the age of 106. In 1938, Nicholas Winton was on holiday in Czechoslovakia. 1938, just before, the first, just before the Second World War. There he met these Jewish families who said to him, we're terrified what's going to happen with Hitler and the Nazis. We're terrified for our family. Will you help us with our children and get them out of the country? And Nicholas went and said, OK, I'll see what I can do. So he wrote to the various governments around the world and the British government was the only one that came back and said, we'll take them. So he started advertising. He showed pictures in newspapers of these Jewish children and various families said that they would give them a house to live in. 664 families took them in. The last train with 250 children didn't make it out in time. And the children died in the Holocaust. But those who did make it out came to the UK, and they were looked after. And Nicholas Winton just got on with his life after the war, didn't talk about it, didn't tell anyone about it. Fifty years later, in 1988, his wife's in the attic, she comes across a suitcase, and inside she finds these documents and photographs, and she says to her husband, what's all this stuff? And he says, oh, it's just this thing I did back in 1938, when I was on holidays. I met these people and I placed them in homes, it's no big deal. Well, his wife began to share the story with some people, and good old Esther Ranson found out about it, and did a TV programme. And she started to trace the children and see where they were. And she managed to find 221 of them in all. And she invited Nicholas went into the studio, but he had no idea why he was there. And then... Actually, let me just show you what happened next. Put on the video. All the letters. But back here is the list of all the children... This is Vera Diermunt, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. And it was just so wonderful, so terribly, terribly touching. is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Wintram if so could you stand up please